Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. I think it was probably six or seven years ago. Um, our family, we were getting together. It was, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving or Christmas, but I'm one of, of five kids. So all, all of my siblings were there. We were at my parents' house. And by this point, we were all married. Um, there was quite a few, my parents had a, quite a few grandkids at this point. So it's a big gathering, a big hang. And my brother Brian is so excited because he, he brings with him and his wife, Angela, they bring this book. And they want to talk about this book. And what the book was is it was basically a personality test or assessment. So it was like a quick test and then chapters that describe the type you are. And he was just so excited. He wanted to know like what each of his siblings were. Now, I, I'm like, I like personality tests okay. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan in general. But this one really, I, I really didn't like this one for a few reasons. The first one is that it was written by a woman designed specifically for women. So it was a personality test for women describing women. Like when they're reading over my brother Justin, they're like, she loves people. And I just can't get over the fact that they're calling Justin a she. And not only that, the test was designed for women. There was women-specific questions. But to him, he was like, this is broad enough. We can just you know, pretend we're not saying she, and you'll get who you are in the mix of all of this. So that was the first reason I didn't like it. The second reason is because it had a very narrow selection of types. So for extroverts, there was only two options that you could be. And what it was is it would describe you as a vessel that carried flowers, very womanly, right? So you, <laughs> if you were an extrovert, you could either be a basket, um, which the author of this book, is I think that's what she was, because she really, she really built this one up. She loved it. It's basically someone who could carry around all their flowers. Everyone wanted to be with the basket. The basket was the life of the party. Super fun. Or you could be a vase. And the vase didn't have as much room for people. It had a hard outer surface that tended to steamroll people and was kind of a jerk. All right, so the way I saw it was you had a good guy and a bad guy. My family's doing the test. They're all testing out. And they're like, oh, basket. You're a basket. You're a basket. And they're reading it. They're like, high five. And this is awesome. We're so happy. Yeah, this is great. And they finally convinced me to take the test. And it was even awkward the way they revealed to me what I was. Like, my brother's adding up the numbers. He's like, oh, Kevin, I don't know how to tell you this. You're a vase. <laughs> all right, here we go. So. Like all personality assessments, it gives you like two sentences that are kind, and then like the, the, the next like four pages are all like your weaknesses and everything you need to work on. So it's reading stuff like the vase is insensitive to people, only focused on the task at hand, and does tend to steamroll people. And my siblings are like, yeah, that's Kevin. High five. Yeah, this is awesome. They're just like eating it up. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? At least I've got like Katie here, my wife. So they're reading more. They're like, you know. She doesn't care who gets in her way as long as she gets the job done, she being me. Remember, this is written for women, okay? So she doesn't care who gets her way as long as she gets the job done. So I'm finally like looking over at Katie for some moral support. And Katie's like, don't look at me. <laughs> She's like nodding her head like, that is exactly who you are. Like, come on, Katie, I needed you in this one. Listen, I don't like personality tests, first and foremost, but I learned something that day. There are people who love personality tests, and there are people who don't love personality tests. 
No matter what, we could not get my dad to sit down and take this test. Like, there was no way it was going to happen. The way he saw it is that you were reading a hex over him and boxing him into this person that he was supposed to be. It was not going to happen. But personality tests, this is, this is just one form. They're extremely popular. You look at tests like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile or the INEA scam or other ones that, that are out there. They're, they're extremely popular, so popular that did you know that personality assessments are now a $2 billion industry? Isn't that crazy? A $2 billion industry. Now, here's why. I believe that deep down, every single person here has a desire to be the best version of themselves. Say that again. I think deep down, you have a desire to be the best version of yourself. And if there's something out there that can guide you and kind of relate with who you are, what your motives are, then maybe that can give you clues about how to, how to better handle life so that you can be a better version of yourself. And it's not just individuals, it's, it's teams, it's relationships. These are popular because people will literally try to figure out who they're supposed to date and marry based on how their personality tests fit together. Teams will try to figure out how to best operate or which person goes in which role based on these tests. Organizations, workplaces, this is all part of it is we try to figure out, okay, who, who are all these people? How do we jumble up to be the best version of ourselves? And the same is true in the church. The church has a desire to operate at its absolute best. Now, here's an interesting thing about the church. And when I'm, when I'm saying the church, I'm not talking about this building or this property, or even the name Foothills. I'm talking about those that have said yes to Jesus. That is how he defines the church. It's the people of God, the people who've said, I'm in on this thing. The church, part of their personality is made up of their natural talents. It's made up of, of their passions. It's made up of their circumstances and their upbringing. But because they have the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's also this component in there called spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you that allow you to play a role with, within this team. And that's part of your makeup. Last week, we started this series, A Better Way to Live. And Pastor Greg talked about a serve lifestyle, that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And that's what we are to do. But we also have a serve profile. And so thanks to the Apostle Paul, who started a church in Corinth, he wrote a letter to kind of help them understand what they were misunderstanding about spiritual gifts. And it starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to jump in. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Thanks to this letter, Corinth didn't have to be uninformed, and neither do we. There are three lessons that Paul goes through over the next couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians to help the church in Corinth understand what spiritual gifts were, what they were not, and how this all fit into who they were, what their serve profile was. Number one, your gift matters. Your gift matters. This was the first lesson that he wanted them to understand. Now, I want to make sure we're on the same page. So I want to I kind of talk about what exactly a spiritual gift is. And, and here's how I would describe it where we can all understand. A spiritual gift is a gift given to you by God that is used to help the winning team grow. You say that again. 
Spiritual gift is a gift given to you by God that is used to help the winning team grow. I have a good news reminder for you this morning. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're on the winning team. Amen? You are on the winning team. Doesn't matter what your team did yesterday in college football, you're on the winning team today. South Carolina Gamecock fans haven't heard those words in years. Listen, receive it in Jesus' name. You're on the winning team if you have given your life to Jesus. And what spiritual gifts are is they are the gifts that are given to you to play a role on this team to help it grow. Here's how Paul explained it as he continues in chapter 12. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can what? All right, I'm going to read it again. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Now, I'm going to kind of read an exhaustive list real quick of what is defined as spiritual gifts, what the gifts are defined as in the New Testament. There's a few places that you can read about them, and, and Paul is the one that, that writes most of these. He talks about the apostle the gift of apostleship. This is someone who can kind of start a spark plug of a movement of God. Paul was an apostle. He started churches. Pastor Greg has the spiritual gift of being an apostle. He started foothills. This is evangelism, the ability to tell others about Jesus and bring them to truth. Prophecy, the ability to, to forecast truth or tell of truth. Teaching, exhortation or encouragement, shepherding, serving or helps, mercy, giving, administration, faith, wisdom, knowledge, discernment. And then there was miraculous ones that are talked about in the New Testament as well. Gifts of healing or gift of speaking in tongues or, in, or interpreting tongues, which we'll get to in just a minute. But what Paul was hearing is he was hearing that they were having disputes about which gifts they needed, which gifts were the most important. And they were kind of discounting part of part of the gifts that, that God gives, which was kind of putting away part of the body and the way that God designed it. So for Paul to describe the fact that every gift matters, he used the image of a body. And let's, let's keep reading to exactly what he says. He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say, or can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most what? Necessary. Necessary. And all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Every role matters, and the purpose of these gifts is to help each other, but it's also to display who Jesus is. If, if we were to only focus on a couple of the gifts and write off a few of them, we would be putting off a section of who Jesus is for our world, and our world needs to see all of who Jesus is. Paul continues in this chapter. He says, are we all apostles? 
Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. The problem with humanity, though, is, is we deal with pride, pride that wants us to believe that either our gift is the most important or the type of pride that, that disguises itself in insecurity that makes us believe that we are less important because we don't have someone else's gift. And so, so real quick, I, I want to use an example of, of something that Jesus said while he was on earth that I think pointed to the truth that every gift matters and how you and I as humans rank gifts is not, is not how God ranks gifts. Before Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came to enter every believer, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on different people at different times and move in different ways. And, and some of the people that he used were prophets. They were prophets that would tell truth. They would tell the forecoming of, of Jesus. And they would, they would tell truth of what would happen in Israel if they, if they were choosing to continue to walk away from God. And God used many different prophets. And the prophets were remembered throughout Israel's history. And just like we do with anything, there was conversations around who the greatest prophet was, who, who the greatest of all time, the goat, the Michael Jordan of prophets. In Israel, yes, it is Michael Jordan, not LeBron, just so we're clear. All right, in Israel, they looked at the greatest prophet as Elijah. Elijah was one they talked about as the greatest prophet. And it was because he told truth, but he also performed signs and wonders. Miracles happened through Elijah. 14 miracles happened through Elijah. In fact, when Jesus came, some people confused him for Elijah returning because that's how, that's how well-known he was. This was the goat of all prophets. But Jesus did not refer to Elijah as the greatest of all time. He had a different prophet in mind. Let's look. Matthew eleven eleven says, I tell you the truth, of all who have lived, ever lived, no one is greater than John the Baptist. Now, real quick, John the Baptist was here at the same time as Jesus. He was Jesus's cousin. He was a very unpopular dude that prophesied out in the wilderness, calling people to repentance, to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, to prepare the way. He's, he's coming. So he called people to repentance. The things he predicted came true. But you know what John the Baptist never did? He never performed a miracle. Let's look right here, John 10, 41. John didn't perform miraculous signs. They remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true. John is who Jesus referred to as the greatest of all time. The humans looked at the, the, the big things, the, the miracles, the powerful things as, wow, that would be the most epic thing to put on display. And Jesus says, that, that's not what we're looking at. John is the one that I call the greatest. And he talks about how John was a, was a humble man. And here's, here's, the, here's the big reality and truth I want, I want you to catch right here with the truth that your gift matters. John the Baptist was not trying to be the greatest of all time. He was not trying to be Elijah. He was choosing to use what God gave him to be the best John the Baptist that he could be because that's who God asked John the Baptist to be. God didn't ask John the Baptist to be Elijah. And that's true of you or me. 
You don't have to be the best version of someone else. You just have to be the best version of you, who God called you to be. And the gift that he has given you matters. And it matters greatly. In 2015, I, um, I took a spiritual gifts test. And I'd, I'd taken, I had taken maybe a couple times before. Um, but the test results came back and some of them that, you know, like administration, leadership, and evangelism, I think were like my top three. But that's not where my eyes gravitated towards. I, I didn't go and look at, okay, what did I score high on? My eyes were curious about what did I score low on, all right? So I think the test was like you could get a one out of a 40, um, and, and the ones that you had higher numbers on, those are your most likely to have gifts. And all of them are going to score like somewhere over 10 at least. Um, when I was looking at it, my gift of mercy was low. And it wasn't just low, it was extremely low. I think it was a two out of 40 is what I scored on the gift of mercy. Now, um, my profession is that I am a pastor, okay? And the gift of mercy, so we know what this is, this is the ability to like empathize and be there for someone, to, to be the one that, that, that's helping carry them when they're walking through a tough situation. If you know someone who, um, who cries when, and when they drive by like a dead animal, they probably have the gift of mercy, okay? This is someone whose heart is just, it's moved in these situations, and I was as far from that as possible. Now, personally, when I, when I looked at this, I thought, man, this, like, I, I don't, I'm still learning what it means to be a pastor, but I would think like having the gift of mercy is pretty important to the role of, of pastoring people. There were two things I learned in this season. Number one, I didn't need to focus on the gift I didn't have. God would bring someone else to be that part of the body, okay? I, I didn't need to focus on, well, if I'm going to be a good pastor, I've got to develop this gift, this spiritual gift of mercy. I needed to bring what I had to the table. Trust God will bring someone else. But the second thing that I learned, and I, I think this is important for us to hear today, me not having a spiritual gift, specifically mercy, is not an excuse it's not an excuse for me to walk in sin or live poorly. I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy. That means my instinct is not going to go um, to empathy first. But, but if my wife, let's say my wife's walking through something, that doesn't give me a pass to say, whoa, why are you talking to me about this? I, I don't have the gift of mercy. Go cry on someone else's shoulder. That, that's, that's not okay. And I think sometimes with spiritual gifts and with personality tests, this is what we do. We, we take the box of the description and, and we say, that's awesome, here's my strength. Because I know my weaknesses now, this is an excuse for me to live how I want. That's not how this design, is designed. This isn't to walk in selfishness. And it's not an excuse to just be a jerk, <laughs> if, if that's a fair way to say this. Which leads me to point two. Paul gets into this in the next chapter. Your gifts, they do matter, but your gifts matter less than your virtues. Your gifts matter less than your virtues. First Corinthians chapter 13 is one that you've probably heard or are somewhat familiar with, even if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, because this is known as the famous love chapter in the Bible. At almost every wedding, there is a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that is read. 
Paul defines what love is, but it's all within the context of this conversation around spiritual gifts. So let's jump in. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. He ends the chapter. He talks quite a bit about love throughout the chapter, but he ends the chapter in verse 13 like this. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What Paul is getting at here is he's, he's letting them know your gift absolutely matters. The gift that God has trusted you with that helps represent his body, it absolutely matters. But it is secondary to the virtues that God is trusting you with. You see, you represent Christ's body with the gifts that he's given. When you step out and you walk in these gifts, you are representing him. But if your virtues are off or you're not representing love, you're missing the most important part of what you're representing about Jesus. See, Jesus is this, this spiritual power that he walked with. It definitely drew attention. The miracles, the, the healing, it drew attention. But Jesus's legacy wasn't known just for the miracles. It was known by his love, which transcended all other types of love. It was a different kind of love. It was an all-inclusive type of love. It was a grace-filled love. It was a sacrificial love. It was a beautiful love. And that was the most important thing that Jesus came to talk about. So as we're representing him, while the gifts are important, they're secondary to the fact that we are the display of his love to a world that desperately needs his love. Are you following me? You with me, church? So I want to... I wanna, I wanna, um, I want to say this. I think a lot of times we, we get caught in the conversation around spiritual gifts really focused on what gift we have. And I think Paul takes this turn in the conversation after explaining the different gifts. He takes a conversation of virtues because he's saying, like, that's kind of the wrong question at this point. Right now we need to look at why we have the virtues. He's shown that we are to display Christ's body, but now he's showing it, it's, it's the virtues that we have. So let me say this. If you're unsure of what your spiritual gift is, and I think that's, that's the truth of a lot of people. They're unsure what their spiritual gift is. The good news about this part of the conversation is that you don't have to wait till you learn your spiritual gift to get in this game and be a part of helping the team grow. You have received Christ's love, and now you can extend that right now, whether you know what your strength or your gift is or not. And, and the, other, the other side of the coin that I would say to that is maybe you do know your spiritual gift, but you feel like today you're in a season where your gift is being kind of confined and you're unable to use your gift the way you feel that you're supposed to or that you could. And to that, I, I would just say this. Your gift is not determined by or limited to your position, your job, your role, your title, your circumstance, your age, or your season. I'm going to say that again. 
Your spiritual gift is not determined by or limited to your job, position, title, role, circumstance, age, or season. I have heard some amazing messages preached by people with the spiritual gift of preaching. Pastor Greg is an unbelievable preacher that we are so gifted to learn under and, and learn about God under his truth. And God's given him an incredible role on a platform. But I've also heard incredible messages preached to me by people who don't hold the title pastor. And they've been in settings one-on-one -on -one over a cup of coffee. And some of the greatest impact in my life has come from those settings where God has given someone the spiritual gift of preaching and they didn't wait for a platform or a role. They used the gift that God gave them and they made an impact on my life. Or, or I think about the spiritual gift of, of leadership and I immediately go to a friend of mine, Phil, that he, he attends here. And he has spent years in leadership, in business, pouring into businesses and helping businesses grow. Today, Phil is retired. And it, it might make sense to say, okay, I poured my time into leadership, that's done. But instead, my buddy took me to breakfast one time and he showed up with a piece of paper with a ton of leadership tidbits that he poured into me as a young leader. To him, this was very small and very easy because it came natural to him. These are gifts that God had given him. To me, these are going to last for years and years. They made a huge impact on me as a young leader. He didn't, he didn't allow his gift to be limited by his season or what his job or his title was. Or I think about a buddy of mine that attended Foothills, it was about seven or eight years ago that he walked away from addiction and he began attending Foothills and Pastor Brian and I were leading together. And he was rededicating his life to Jesus. He was getting on fire and he knew that he, he was passionate about serving and helping. He had the spiritual gift of serving and helping. He also had the spiritual gift of knowledge. The guy was just, he, he was brilliant. And he wanted to serve with the student ministry. He wanted to pour into teenagers and help them learn from the mistakes that he made along the way. Well, his background check came back and he still had some issues from his past that he was still clearing up and getting, you know, he was having to deal with them. And so Pastor Brian said, look, it's, it's not gonna be a never that, you, that you're unable to pour into teenagers. The day will come, but today we have a responsibility to the parents that are trusting us with these teenagers. And there has to be time and a track record and, and life change has to be proven over the course of time before we put you in that type of role. So Pastor Brian says, why don't you consider um, helping us clean the building on, on Saturday mornings? Now, Middle school boys and toilets smell a lot alike, but I'm kidding. I'm not kidding, but I was one, so I can say that, all right? Listen, those roles could not be more different. Pouring into teenagers or coming to an empty church building with a handful of people, spreading out and cleaning. Those are very, very different roles, and I was unsure how my buddy would respond. Pastor Brian told him, like, this is your opportunity to prepare a space for the guests that would come in. And it's kind of a picture of the way that Jesus is preparing a room for you in the kingdom of heaven today. So why we do this? Here's why. And my buddy said, done. I'm in. 
He was so excited to get up here every Saturday morning and clean the building and prepare a space for guests. It makes me think of Psalm 8410. And Pastor Greg talked about having the right attitude in serving last week. Psalm 8410 says this, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. You say that maybe in a, today's terms. I'd rather be the least important role on the winning team than the most important role on the losing team. And that's what my friend had figured out. I, I've been on the losing teams and I'm done with it. I don't care if it's cleaning toilets. I want to be a part of the winning team. And if I can use my life to make a difference, I am absolutely in. Today, that was seven or eight years ago. Today, my buddy serves on a Wednesday night for a student ministry and he works in a creative department at a church in Tennessee. Really, really cool what God has done through his journey. But it started there with a willing heart. They said, I just wanna be on the winning team. And I can, I can bring the virtues to the table even if, even if I don't feel like I'm in a role where I can use my gifts. Don't let your spiritual gifts puff you up to thinking you deserve something or God needs something from you when it comes to your gifts. The gifts are an opportunity to be a part of this thing, but your virtues will speak 10 times louder than your gifts or your talents. And the loudest virtue is love. And, and one of the ways that Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 13 is he said it's not self-seeking, which leads us to point three. Your gift is not for you. Your gift is not for you. In chapter 14, Paul hits on one of the more controversial topics, one of the more controversial gifts, which is the gift of speaking in tongues. And, and Christians have debated about what the purpose of this gift is and when it's to be used. And so Paul kind of sets the record straight for, for a way not to use this gift in this portion of the conversation. But it, but it also paints a broader brush of the way that any gift should not be used. So let's just, let's jump in here. First Corinthians 14, two through seven. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. And real quick, the way that tongues had been used and what we had seen God do through it in the New Testament is people would, would allow the Spirit of God to use them and they would tell the truth of who Jesus was and people could hear it in their own native language or there would be an interpreter there to interpret it in their own native language. It pointed people to Jesus. And what was happening is these people were using it to, to pour into themselves and, and have a prayer language with God or to show off and, and look more spiritual than those around them. And he's saying, look, this, you're using your gift for you. That's not, that's not how it's designed. Verse six goes on, dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that'll be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. Your gift, it's not for you. 
It's something that God has given you and trusted you with to help others to show the body of Jesus. I'll just finish with, with a story, an illustration. So um, earlier this year, my grandparents were trying to get a hold of us. We had just, um, we had just Katie had just given birth to our second daughter, Anna. And uh, they texted my wife, and my wife had not responded to uh, grandma's text yet. She, she hadn't got to all of her text messages. And my grandma is a very, she's the sweetest lady, awesome. She's very direct, though. She's going to say exactly what's on her mind anytime. So she texts, and she's like, hey, Kevin, this is grandma. Like, glad you told me. I wouldn't have known when your contact popped up. <laughs> she's like, hey, Kevin, this is grandma. I sure hope you read your text. Apparently, Katie doesn't. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love you, Grandma. She's like, listen, I uh, need you to give me a call as soon as possible. So I give her a call. Like, hey, Grandma, what's going on? She's like, listen, your, your, your grandfather and I, um, we'd like to do something. We've got a little money that we'd like to give to you guys for, for your two daughters and to invest into their future in their college. And she said, we, we don't believe we'll be around by the time they uh, reach that age. And so we'd like to know, you know, where our legacy money is kind of going. It's not, a, it's not a huge amount or anything, but she's like, there's, there's two rules. The first rule is, before we write you the check, we want you to show us exactly what your plan is with the money so that we know it's, it's protected and it's safe and, and that you got a good plan together. She said, the, the second rule is that you and Katie can, under no circumstances, use this money for yourself. This is for Haley and Anna. Okay. Uh, Go, go, go on this thought with me for a moment. We've talked about the fact that our gift matters and it matters less than the virtues and, and that it's not for us. Okay, so let, let's take this example. No matter the amount of money that my grandparents gave, it's gonna be an absolute gift and joy to pass that on to our daughters one day. It would be foolish for Katie and I to be disappointed that it's not enough or, or anything like that because no matter what, it's more than Katie and I could have done without it. And no matter what, it's more than our daughters would have started with had they not done this. So this gift, it, it, it matters. It has significance. It has value. No matter the amount, it has a value. Your gift matters less than your virtues. We will give this to our daughters one day, and this will be one of many, many, many gifts we give them over the years. We're gonna to give tons of gifts to our daughters. Our daughters will remember the gifts that we give them, but they will remember the gifts we give them far less than they remember how much we loved them. You follow me? Our daughters will remember the gifts, but they will remember how we loved them much more than they remember the gifts. Good gifts don't make up for a lack of love. And last, the gift is not for you. If, if, if Katie and I were to use that gift that our grandparents had trusted us with for us, we decided to invest in our own future, or our own advancement, or our own gain, or our own pleasure, our own excitement, that would affect the relationship 
that we have of my grandparents. And it, and it would later, when the truth is revealed, affect the relationship we have with our daughters. When we choose to use things selfishly, or pull these gifts selfishly, we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ. And that's not the body of Christ judging us. That's us willingly isolating ourselves. Are you following me? The gift is given to us to pour back into the body and out into the world so that others can get in on this thing. Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he's now trusted you with that role, and he's given you a unique, a unique serve profile. But Paul says, man, if you're looking for what your spiritual gift is, you, you're, you're probably looking for the wrong thing. He didn't give a link to a gifts test online. He didn't give instructions for how to mysteriously go on this treasure hunt to figure out what your spiritual gift is. He talked about why we have gifts and how we're to use them. And God will take care of the gifts part as we get out there and we serve. And, and I think about it like this. I think when Jesus recruited his disciples, he didn't start with, all right, let's sit down and let's determine all of who you are. And now we're going to figure out the right role. He said, do you want to come be fishers for men instead? Well, come on and follow me. And, and so what I would say is, finding our serve profile, it doesn't happen with our head. Jesus showed us a different way. Finding our serve profile happens with our hands and with our feet. It happens when we get in the game and say, God, I'm yours, and I'm gonna choose to step in and love others. And over the course of time, he starts to show you the ways he's gifted you. And then it just becomes awesome because you're just passing that through and pouring into the body. So Foothills, would you pray with me this morning? I wanna pray over you. Jesus, I thank you for the model that you set to be a humble servant and to serve. And I thank you that you have trusted us. You have literally trusted us, broken, sinful individuals to be the representation of you to the world. Oh, Lord, we don't lose sight of that this morning. That you trust us to carry your presence, your Holy Spirit, and use the gifts that you've given us to point others to you and to encourage the body. And so, Lord, just today, I just pray. I pray for um, affirmation for those that are using their gifts for you. Lord, would they just feel your pleasure today? Would today just be a fist bump that's to keep running the race, keep going. But God, for those that, that have sidelined themselves or, or are sitting on the sidelines, God, I pray that you would draw them in. That God, they still have breath in their lungs, so they still have opportunity. And, and Holy Spirit, you're the same one that was with Jesus, the same one that was with this church that Paul was talking to, is the same one that's available to them today. And I pray that they would walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. But more importantly, with the posture of the Holy Spirit and say, I'm in, I'm in. And then Father, I pray right now for anyone in this room that is yet to give their life to Jesus. That is yet to say, I want on the winning team. And if that's you, I'd love to give you an opportunity to just give your life to Jesus right now. You might pray a prayer like this. You might say, Jesus, 
I want to be on the winning team today. I know that my sins have taken me off that team. But Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I believe that you took my punishment and that God raised you from the dead. And I'm asking you to be my savior, that you would be my path to joining the winning team. And I'm gonna commit to follow you for the rest of my life. Father, we love you so much. I pray that your word would continue to work in our hearts after we leave here today. Lord, I just, I just sense that you're not done with each of us on this topic. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.